Well, hello, hello. How are y'all doing tonight? Are we good? We good? Yeah, awesome. How amazing is our worship team? These guys are crazy. Thank you. Give it up for the worship team. They're so good. And how amazing was that baptism? Oh my gosh. I was in the spiritual splash zone over here. I barely could stand up. It was crazy. It was so good. Uh, we just want to say thank you to everybody who's here tonight, whether it's your very first time at the Ascent or you've been coming here for a while. We're just so grateful that you chose to be with here tonight. You could be anywhere, but you're here with us. So thank you for coming out. Uh, I also just want to let you know that uh, if you've never really been here before or maybe you don't know what this whole Jesus thing is all about, we want to let you know that you belong here and that you can belong here before you believe. So thank you for being with us once again. My name is Chelsea. I am on staff at Riverwood Church, and I'm also on the lead team at The Ascent. On a typical Sunday, you're going to find me in the back there with the production team. Um, but today, I have the equal pleasure and opportunity of bringing you the word. And I am so super pumped to do that. Yeah, yay, awesome. So if you happen to be here uh, last week, you'll know that we started a new series called Greatest of All Time, or GOAT, which is actually kind of ironic because we're talking about sheep. And if you've read a bit of the Bible, you know sheep and goats are not the same. But anyways, here we find ourselves. Yeah, I know. These, they've, read the, they've read it, but it's good. Um, so anyways, we're working through verse by verse what some consider to be the greatest scripture or psalm of all time, and that is Psalm 23. Last week, John preached out verse 1 and 2 for us, and today we're going to have a closer look at verse 3 and 4. So without further ado, let's dive right into Psalm 23. If you brought your physical Bible, you can open it there. If you got a digital Bible, that's great too. And if you don't have a Bible, that's also awesome because we're going to have it on the screens. We got you covered. So let's go ahead. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this community. We thank you for the ascent, and we thank you for your word, Lord, and the way that you reveal yourself and your nature through it to us. I just ask right now, Lord, that you would be with everybody in here, that you would just open our hearts to understand your scriptures, Lord, and that we would walk away with, with something that you are trying to tell us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so... We know Psalm 23 was written by a man named David because, well, the psalm actually tells us. In the notes, in the original Hebrew, it says, a psalm of David. This David may be better known as King David, and in fact, he's probably the most famous Israelite king in the Bible. Not only that, David was kind of like an OG singer-songwriter. He was an incredibly talented musician and a poet. And these psalms David wrote were really written as songs intended to be sung. But King David came from very humble roots. He had quite the crazy life, actually, and you can read all about it if you want in a couple of other Old Testament books, namely 1 and 2 Samuel. So David had a big family, including seven brothers who were all older than him. And being the youngest, David was assigned to what many Israelites and other ancient societies would have considered the lowest of tasks, that being a shepherd boy. 
So we know that shepherd boy turned King David wrote Psalm 23. But we don't inherently know when David wrote the psalm. Or at least the psalm doesn't explicitly tell us that. So there are some different ideas about when this might have happened. However, some scholars hypothesize that this psalm was written in, King, in David's King David life. While David was certain to have gained an intimate understanding of the sheep-shepherd relationship while he was a shepherd boy, he may have seen his kingship in much of a shepherd-over-sheep kind of way. And in fact, likening the relationship between a king and his subjects with that of a sheep and a shepherd was not a foreign analogy in ancient Middle Eastern cultures. So being the shepherd king, be likely to come to the conclusion that David writes Psalm 23 and uses sheep-shepherd analogy because he has a lot of experience being a shepherd, both literally and figuratively. I think David's connection with this psalm actually comes from a place of knowing and identifying himself with the character of a sheep. So in order for us to really understand this psalm, we first got to understand sheep. And what do you do if you want to find the most interesting information in the most efficient manner on any given topic, including sheep? Well, if you're any self-respecting millennial, you head over to the old YouTube, which is exactly what I did. So, I literally typed in random sheep facts, YouTube, here we go. Without fail, bunch of hits, including 17 cool facts you may not know about sheep. Riveting. Genius. So I'm all excited about this video, and it's only 2 minutes 45 seconds, which is great, because I'm kind of figuring my attention span for sheep facts is not much longer than that. And while I'm sure you're dying to know what the number one random sheep fact is, I'm afraid I'm going to have to let you down, because there is nothing particularly exciting or interesting about sheep. <laughs> Although I have to give it up to the people who made this video. They did try their best. It was literally set to EDM music, I kid you not. 17 sheep facts, EDM music, go check it out when you get home. You'll know what I'm talking about. The fact is, sheep are very simple, unremarkable creatures. So why does David, a powerful king with incredible music and musical talent, liken himself to a sheep? And I think it's because David recognized and identified with a sheep's need for its shepherd. The fact is, sheep don't have a lot of empowering resources, so they must rely on someone who does, their shepherd. And in the same way, David understood his own need for his own shepherd, the Lord. We are sheep, and we need a shepherd. Focusing in on verse 3 and 4 of Psalm 23, there are a couple key illustrations David uses that helps us further unpack what this need looks like and how sheep become different when this need is met. Let's head over to verse 3 and have a look here. Verse 3 reads, He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He leads me. One need David knows to be true of a sheep is that sheep need a leader. Sheep have a hardwired sort of follow-the-leader instinct that's actually innate. They literally cannot help but stick close to the sheep in front of them. I don't know. But the thing is, sheep relying on other sheep to guide them becomes a real problem. Let me illustrate. This is a real, this, this is a real, there you go. You think it's magic, but it's not actually. This is a real BBC news article from 2005 with the apt headline, Turkish sheep die in mass jump. It reads like this. Turkish shepherds watched in horror as hundreds of their sheep followed each other over a cliff, says Turkish newspaper reports. First one sheep went over the cliff edge, only to be followed by the whole flock, according to reports. So, 
sheep following other sheep. Very dangerous. But as usual, there's more to the story. You see, these sheep actually did have shepherds. We find out in another report on this story that the shepherds had left around 1,500 sheep to graze while they relaxed and had their breakfasts. So, I don't know, like maybe we can blame this one a little bit on the, on the shepherds too. Like maybe not the wisest, most watchful shepherds here. Either way, I think there's something that can be said about this, and that is sheep will follow any leader, okay? Sheep will follow any leader without a hot clue where they're actually headed. David can identify with the trouble that comes with being led by the wrong things. You may be familiar with the story, but this very King David was once led by lust after a beautiful woman. The result of this being that he became led by greed into infidelity, and further to that, led by pride to take the life of her husband to cover up for his own sin. Now, the really crazy part about this is it doesn't make David exceptional. In fact, it just makes David just like every one of us. Isaiah 53 verse 6 tells us that every one of us are like sheep in the same way. It reads, all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. And I think we need to stop right here for a second and, and check in. What or who are you being led by? We need to seriously consider this because if we could be steps away from a cliff's edge, and if we're not paying attention to who or what is leading us, we might just fall over. Maybe you're identifying with King David right now, and it's lust, greed, or pride that's leading you. Maybe it's success, pleasure, the affirmation of others. Perhaps it's even a person in your life who really doesn't have your best interests in mind. Sheep will follow any leader. What they need is a good one. David identifies with sheep in recognizing his need for a good leader, his very own shepherd, the Lord. Another translation of verse 3 reads, He guides me along right paths. That's where David's good leader is heading. And through the lens of the sheep-shepherd analogy, we begin to understand that David is not going to be able to follow, to follow this path on his own. Interestingly enough, in David's writings and elsewhere in the Bible, these right paths are described as straight paths. In Psalm 5, verse 8, David says, O Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my foes. Make your ways straight. What's fascinating is that sheep on their own cannot straight paths. By nature, sheep tend to walk in winding paths so they can see danger coming from every side. And this actually might be one of the smarter things that sheep do, because sheep have every reason to fear danger. Think of it. When we face danger of any kind, we like to think of two different reactions that we have, right? We have fight or flight. And the thing is, sheep are not well equipped for either of these responses. They don't have claws or sharp teeth and not really anything to fight with, not to mention, like, they're not that intimidating. I mean, like, bah, like, that's the best they got. That's really the best. And on top of that, they're not very fast or agile or, you know, like, have any cool animal things like wings or anything. So the whole quick getaway thing's not going to work for them either. When it comes to predators, sheep are pretty defenseless. Ergo, sheep need a protector. They're only going to be able to walk a straight path if they aren't in fear of the possibility of danger. And the shepherd provides that protection for the sheep, particularly with a couple of key tools, the rod and the staff that we read about in verse 4. Now, the rod and the staff are actually said to be two names for a single instrument that had a twofold purpose. So the rod refers to its utility as a weapon that the shepherd would use to beat off predators of the sheep, 
while the staff referred to its use to direct the sheep and also to remind them of the shepherd's presence. Sheep need a leader, and sheep need a protector, and the shepherd has the tools both to guide and protect the sheep in accordance with these needs. And sheep do pretty well with responding to these tools under certain circumstances. You see, not only do sheep move better when they're not afraid, they also move better on a flat surface or uphill. Additionally, sheep do not like to move into darkness. This is complicated by the fact that sheep also have very poor depth perception, which causes darkness and shadows to become a real issue, so <laughs> it's a really big problem for the sheep. And yet, the place where David says he can follow his shepherd without fear is the valley of the shadow of death. Think about it. This valley represents the greatest challenges to sheep being led by their shepherd. They're heading downhill into the shadows of darkness created by looming valley walls. And if sheep were already in fear of danger on a flat surface or even up on that hilltop, how much more are they going to face fear in this valley? And what about you? What are your valleys? What's the landscape of your life when you're the most prone to be led by your fears and your feelings instead of your shepherd? Some have suggested that this valley David refers to is a real place of physical danger, a specific valley along the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's said to be home of broods of predators from beastly animals to robbers and thieves all waiting on easy prey. This is a real place with some real physical danger to be worried about. And maybe that sounds like the valley you find yourself in. Maybe you've caught up with the wrong crowd. Or maybe you're in an abusive relationship. But I think understanding the valley in this physical sense only limits this full scope of what David intended to express or how this psalm can really speak into our lives. When I think of life's valleys, I'm inclined to think of times when not only physical danger could be imminent, but also times of intense emotional discomfort. The pain one experiences in the face of losing a loved one or the hurt caused by broken relationships. Maybe it's the sting of betrayal. And maybe this is about the kind of valley you're more familiar with. And yet, even so, either interpretation ends up making me feel incredibly guilty about the times I have felt like I've been a valley. Because I've been blessed not to have had to deal with a lot of physical danger or emotional trauma in my life. Instead, the valleys I tend to find myself in are most often created by me. Sometimes it's because of something I've done wrong. I've done wrong, and I feel like I'm in a valley surrounded by the darkness of my own shame and guilt. And other times, these valley experiences tend to come in the midst of things that in and of themselves are really good. Maybe I'm feeling weighed down by the burden of exams that I do not feel ready for, or I'm generally just in a really busy season and I feel hopelessly overwhelmed. But education and productivity are gifts. And I often look back and think, man, how did I let that become a valley for me? And I've come to the realization that oftentimes it's not that I fear because I'm in a valley, but rather my fear itself creates the valley I find myself in. This could be the fear of failure, or fear of not being enough. Maybe it's the fear of the unknown, fear of loneliness, or even the fear of death. And there are countless other fears that every single one of you has faced in your life and even on every single day. No matter what kind of valley we find ourselves in, we have a tendency to let this fear become our focus. We lose sight of the shepherd in the darkness, and so often we are quick to conclude that he's just not there. And without our leader and protector, the shepherd we need, 
we end up feeling hopeless. Let me tell you, David was not short on valley experiences like these. And if you start reading through the Psalms, you'll find him there a lot. You'll find him in the physical valley, the place where he has enemies attacking all around and actually seeking his life. You'll find him in the emotional valley too. At one point, David's own son is trying to kill him. Can you imagine what that would feel like? And not only that, this son ends up being killed. And this wasn't the first time David buried his own child. In fact, it was the third. You'll also find David in the valley created by his own fears and failures, his own shame and guilt. Like after he took a man's life, trying to cover up for his infidelity. David was a man just like you or I, with some very real enemies, some life circumstances beyond his control, and some real mess ups that he had no one to blame but himself. And here's one thing that we can learn from David. David was able to express his feelings to God in a very raw way, yet he never let his feelings or his circumstances inform his truth. I wanna jump to Psalm 3. And we read in Psalm 3 that this was King David's song when he was forced to flee Absalom, his own son, when he was trying to kill him. We read, Lord, I have so many enemies, so many who are against me. Listen how they whisper their slander against me, saying, look, he's hopeless. Even God can't save him from this. But in the depths of my heart, I truly know that you, Yahweh, have become my shield. Verse 6 continues, even though dark powers prowl around me, I won't be afraid. Despite the way things looked around him, despite the suggestions and the slander of others, David knew his shepherd, the Lord, was his protector, his shield. But not just his protector of his body, he was the protector of his heart. And because of this truth, David could defeat the fears that he faced. In the valley, our fears and feelings can be really strong. But the landscape of our lives doesn't change the truth about our shepherd. Though our circumstances may make us feel like God is far, our shepherd will never leave us in the valley. Though he does lead us there. Another translation of Psalm 23:4 reads this way. Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of the deepest darkness. Wait, what? Did you say that God's path takes, takes us to something? That's right, now you're awake. Okay, good. I want to be really careful in explaining this part here because it is far from the truth to say that God intentionally leads us into pain and maybe even less true that he would intentionally lead us into sin. No, I think this is merely speaking to the very reality of the world we live in. It is fallen, it's dark, it's corrupt. The shepherd's right path will inevitably take us through valleys while we're in this life. However, when we do encounter those valleys, and it feels like God is far, the truth is that this is when our shepherd becomes closer than ever. Not because he brought us there purposely for us to experience pain as a means for us to get to know him better, but maybe because he is so full of love and grace that he is so heartbroken to see what kind of a state our fallen world and our own sin puts us in. Turn back to Psalm 23 with me for a moment and, or take a look at the screen, so you know, whatever you're doing. There's an important observation to be made in the transition from verse three to verse four. Let's read it again. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death or even when your path takes me through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. 
your rod and your staff comfort me. In verse 4, David goes from describing God as he to you. When life seems to be going well and you're in green pastures beside still waters, as we read about in verses 1 and 2, you may recognize God. But when you're in the valley, engulfed by fear, feeling hopeless, alone, or oppressed, it is in that valley that our shepherd becomes personal and we begin to find real emotional comfort in the truth of his protection and guidance beyond knowing it simply for fact. Notice what David is saying. When your path takes me through the valley, through, not to the valley, not in the valley, through, meaning he's not going to leave you there. Our shepherd never leaves us in the valley. He leads us through the valley. We, like David, are sheep. Sheep need a shepherd. And we come to know our shepherd in the valley. But there's a place where this whole sheep-shepherd analogy really starts to break down. I mean, there's lots of places, but let me point out one. Though a shepherd is armed with his rod as a weapon to protect the sheep, the difference between us and the sheep is that our shepherd has also given us tools to fight with. He's actually armed us with a weapon to fight the fear and evil we face in the valley. A weapon that makes us unable to be stopped, slowed, or startled as we walk his path through the valley. And that weapon is praise. As mentioned, we often find David in a valley in the Psalms, and without fail, you'll notice that his song in this valley always ends with praise. When David finds himself in times of distress, he uses his voice to cry out to God, to declare his truth, and proclaim his praise even before his deliverance comes. Let's have another look at Psalm 3. Lord, I have so many enemies, so many who are against me. Listen to how they whisper their slander against me, saying, look, he's hopeless. Even God can't save him from this. But in the depths of my heart, I truly know that you have become my shield. You take me and surround me with yourself. Your glory covers me. You lift high my head. I simply cry out to you, rise up and help me, Lord. Come and save me. And you will slap them in the face breaking the power of their words to harm me. My true hero comes to my rescue, for the Lord alone is my savior. What a feast of favor and bliss he gives to his people. What is your song in times of trouble? Do you praise your protector or your problems? If I'm honest with you guys, this is something I struggle with a lot. So often I become so overcome by my fears and what I view as my failures that I end up affirming the lies that are my very own enemies. How many times do I take up a woe is me or where are you God instead of declaring the truth about my shepherd's presence and protection, crying out to God to save me and believing with full faith that he actually will. If you're in a place where you're struggling to praise, perhaps such a dark place that you don't even know how or where to begin, may I encourage you to start by reading the Psalms. There's a pastor I follow who said, when you've lost your peace, open the book of Psalms and read it until you find your voice. In this book, I guarantee you'll find a psalm that connects with the emotion you're feeling and begin to take on the pattern of praise that follows. I think we're often tempted to believe that we need to have it all together before we come in praise. But as you read the psalms, you'll come to realize that quite the opposite is true. In Psalm 8 verse 2, David illustrates that when we find ourselves utterly dependent on God, as sheep need their shepherd, that is exactly when our praise has such power. He says, you have built a 
foothold by the songs of babies. Strength rises up with the chorus of singing children. This kind of praise has the power to shut, shut Satan's mouth. These children, these babies, they are utterly dependent on their caregiver, and so we must come before God in praise as utterly dependent on him, our shepherd. When we recognize and acknowledge this need for a shepherd and we praise from this posture, it has the power to silence the enemy and any lie or fear that evil is trying to plant in your heart and mind. And let me tell you that praise isn't just singing songs. One of the simplest expressions of praise is simply the thankful acknowledgement of all that God has done for you. In Psalm 9, verse 1, David says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. Look back on your life. Look at the other values, va valleys he's already walked you through and thank him for this in your personal prayer life. Write out your testimony. And your testimony is simply a list of what God has done in your life. It doesn't have to be complicated. Then, recount this to others. You see, praise is not only a weapon, but a witness. There is such power in sharing your testimony, and I think we kind of got a glimpse of that tonight. You can't silence the enemy if he silenced you first. Speak loud and proud about what God has done in your life and how he has delivered you. And this is ultimately what it's all about, this walk through the valley. A wise teacher I greatly respect succinctly explained, the battle is over who gets the glory. Everything we do either brings the glory to God, our shepherd, or the enemy. If we succumb to fear, we, the fear we encounter in the valley, reinforcing lies and leading us off the shepherd's path, the enemy gets the glory. But when we come to know the shepherd and we offer our praise in the valley, we are victorious and he gets the glory. And this last part is really important. In fact, I would argue this is exactly the purpose for which the shepherd leads us. We skipped over a key part in verse 3, one that I believe we're all too prone to overlook. Verse 3 reads, He leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. It is God's desire that his name might be glorified by our walk along his right paths in order that all people would come to know him as shepherd and give him praise. In the Gospel of Matthew, one of the four biblical accounts of Jesus' life and ministry, Jesus says to his followers, your lives light up the world. Let it shine brightly before others. The commendable things you do will shine as light upon them, and then they will give their praise to your Father in heaven, or our shepherd. Remember, we are sheep, and sheep will follow any leader. Consider who might be following behind, closely behind you and where your walk and talk is leading them. At the same time the shepherd leads us, we are setting the pace for those following closely behind. Sheep are inclined to move towards light, so be that guiding light for others. You know, we've talked a lot about the shepherd, but we haven't really given the shepherd the name. And maybe you know the shepherd's name. Let me remind you. In the book of John, another account of Jesus' life and ministry, Jesus declares, I am the good shepherd. And for some of you, this good shepherd label is all too familiar. But allow yourself to be hit with the revolutionary magnitude of this statement. As I mentioned, being a shepherd was considered to be the lowliest of all tasks. And yet Jesus, our savior, chooses to stoop to become our shepherd, assigning himself to the humbling task of caring for such simple sheep as you and I. But not only does Jesus stoop to be our shepherd, he went even lower. 
In his death, Jesus became like a lamb to save us, that we would be able to enter relationship with him forever. We read about this as we continue where we left off in Isaiah 53, verse 6, and we'll read to 11. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him, that is Jesus, our good shepherd, the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before its shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was struck down for the rebellion of my people, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. We can walk the paths that lead to righteousness David describes in verse 3, not because we are capable sheep, but because we have a shepherd that walked the path leading to death for us, that we might be counted righteous by following him. Sheep aren't wild animals. They're bought at a price. And just so, our shepherd paid the price of his own death to make us his own. And while we don't like the idea of being owned by anybody in today's society, there's actually so much significance in this. To be owned by the shepherd is to belong to him. Because you belong to Jesus, his investment in your life and his care for you is so much greater than any other. Jesus illustrates this in John 10, verse 12 to 14. He says, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, i.e. he who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I can bet there's people in here tonight who struggle with abandonment. Maybe there have been people in your life who were supposed to guide and protect you, but trouble came and they ran and they hurt you. And you have a hard time trusting anyone because how do you know that they won't do the same? And you're like, how am I supposed to trust this Jesus guy who I've never met and maybe I don't even know at all? And I'll tell you why, because Jesus is invested in you like no other. He owns you. Jesus calls us his very own and his ownership is personal. Continuing in John 10 verse 14, Jesus repeats, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. This good shepherd already knows you personally. And if you haven't already, would you take today as an opportunity to begin to know him? Maybe you're feeling like you've been living in the valley of the shadow of death and you want to come to know that light beyond the shadow. And if you feel a stirring in your heart right now, it's my sincere belief that this is the shepherd calling out to your heart by name. If you've never made the decision to make Jesus your shepherd, we want to give you that opportunity to do that tonight. I'd like everyone to close your eyes for just a moment. As an act of obedience and surrender, if you want to respond to this shepherd, if you want to acknowledge, yes, I need a shepherd, I need you, Jesus, and I want to follow you in the abundant life you have for me, in a few seconds, I'm going to ask that you would raise your hand. It's important to know that this isn't for show. This isn't for anyone else but you. Everyone's eyes are closed. This is between you and your shepherd. So here it goes. One, Jesus loves you and he's calling you to be his. Two, your life is never going to be the same and nothing can separate you from him. Three, go ahead and raise your hands. Thank you. You can lower your hands. 
you just raise your hand, I want to pray with you a moment. Jesus, our shepherd, thank you, Lord. Thank you for coming down from heaven to earth to be our shepherd, to be our guide, to be our protector. And thank you that you continue to be that protector every single day for us, Lord. Thank you that you call us, you call us by name into your care, Lord. And I just thank you so much for the individuals who you've pressed on their heart that you are calling them, Lord. And I thank you for their surrender and their desire to know and follow you. Lord, would you be so close to them in the coming days and for the rest of their life, would they know that you are their shepherd, Lord, and they don't have to fear anymore. Amen.